0: Welcome to Episode 32 of the Tech Done Right Podcast, TableXI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. TableXI is now offering training for developer and product teams. Topics include testing, improving legacy JavaScript, career development, and agile team process. For more information, email us at workshops at tablexi.com. We also have a free email course and some tools about improving your company's career growth and goal strategy. You can find those at stickynote.game. And As you hear this, my book, Rails 5 Test Prescriptions, will either be out in the world or very nearly out in the world. The book is up to date with the latest Rails RSpec and Minitest features and has some great non-dogmatic content on how to get value from testing your Rails applications. You can buy Rails 5 Test Prescriptions at pragprog.com or wherever fine technical books are sold. Today on the show, we're talking about React Native, a framework that allows you to write JavaScript and JSX in React and develop native applications for iOS and Android. We have a panel of React Native experts with me today. We have Ed LaFoy, the head of TableXI's mobile development practice. Gant Laborde is the chief technology strategist for Infinite Red, and Brent Vatney is a developer who works on React Native and Expo at Expo. We talk about why to use React Native, how to learn it, how the onboard experience for React Native is really good, and where you might come across some limitations. Uh, We've had some great results with React Native here, and I was glad to learn more about it from these developers. So here we are with the, the panel. Uh, we'll start with Gant Laborde. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hey, friends. This is Gant Laborde. I'm chief technology strategist for Infinite Red and a longtime React Native user. And we have Brent Vatney. Hi.
2: I work on a product called Expo, which is kind of like Rails for React Native. And I also work on React Native.
3: And
0: also Ed LaFoy.
3: Hi, um, I'm the mobile practice lead at TableXI. Historically, came from a lot of iOS uh, native development um, and have spent quite a lot of time in React Native recently, um, as well as uh, building up internal teams for other clients uh, in the React Native space.
0: So let's start with the very, uh, very basics here. What is React Native, and when would somebody use it relative to a bunch of other tools that do similar things?
2: React Native is another rendering target for React, Traditionally, React has been used on the web, and so in that context, the rendering target is the DOM. For React Native, it renders to native iOS and native Android. You might want to use it because you can take advantage of the knowledge that your web development team has already using React on the web, and potentially reuse code as well to build your iOS and Android apps. Uh, In addition to that, I think a lot of people really uh, appreciate the React programming model, and it's just nice to have that in the iOS and Android space as well. Ed, your team has
0: moved to React Native from doing more direct native development in Swift. Uh, what drew you to that, and what kinds of things did you find kept you there once you made the switch?
3: What drew us to it uh, was me giving in uh, after being burned by so many other cross-platform promises in the past. I, I think that you know, with the handful of people trying to get this right, they're actually being one that succeeded so well. Uh, caught me off guard, and I think it's that's definitely one of the things that sucked us in. The last time that I used JavaScript, it wasn't quite as nice as it is these days. Like Brent said, the, the programming model is very well done, and the tooling ecosystem is also very robust. It wasn't when we started, but it is these days.
0: Uh, so, Gant, what kinds of things do you see as like the competitive advantage of React Native?
1: Well, we always have this continuous evolution of technology. It goes all the way back to when people are building things to the core data with their hands. You can bring this all the way back to uh, people talking about, oh, assembly is the way, everybody writing C, they're all idiots and they're not doing things to to the real low level that they can actually uh, get to. And uh, of course, in C, you could always drop down into assembly and work on that, and so that kind of like builds this extra layer of sort of no longer worrying about what machine you're on. And, and I think that naturally we're seeing this same kind of progression as you have enough people that are working together with mobile. You know, when iOS first came out, of course, it you know it dominated the market, and everybody was building. There's an app for that Objective C apps. And then uh, now, if you take a look at the market, it's, it's definitely spreading out a bit more. And people need a good solution. You have to write an app for iOS and for Android. And then you might even also have to write it for Apple TV and Xbox and all these other platforms. You know, it's almost getting to the point to be successful. You either need a team that's dedicated to web, iOS, Android, and all these other platforms, or like uh, Ed was saying, everybody's been promising this this sort of uh, golden path for a while, and React Native is the first one to actually hit out the park in a way that makes people happy. So you know we've seen people with uh, skill sets of knowing mobile and knowing web working effectively together to deliver quality products. and you know everybody says it here it is finally showing up.
0: So what does React Native do that makes that work? What, what makes it succeed where everyone else failed? Because I've tried a bunch of cross-platform frameworks, and I've done a little bit of React Native, but not anything substantial, but enough to know that it feels better. What What's it doing that the other tools didn't?
3: First and foremost, it gets out of your way if you want it to. I think that was uh, probably the the most unhappy burn uh, of the promises that have been made to me in the past, uh, when you get 75% of the way into a project and then find that some abstraction doesn't support uh, a feature that you need. And so coming up with a way to wrap native modules uh, and kind of you know interact with them uh, in the React code is definitely one of the major pluses, in my opinion.
1: Gant? Yeah. yeah. That's really right on point there. Specifically, uh, a lot of people have always been trying to bring web down to mobile. And you hit these insane barriers that you can't, you know, there's an air gap, you can't jump. If you take a look at people implementing PWAs, the most complex point for them is how do I emulate these things that you sort of do naturally in mobile. And I think one of the great things that happened here is they went the other direction really, really well, is they said, we're going to be on top of mobile, making it more like web. And so now you have access. It can get out of your way, and then you don't have any kind of barrier. Your, your actual barrier is how web-like can we get mobile development?
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like as a web developer, one of the things coming to the web initially from, in my case, Java application development, one of the things that I liked about web development was how easy it was to specify an interface in HTML and in code. And it seems to me like React Native has a little bit of that quality relative to the iOS and Android frameworks too, where, where you have that uh, somewhat more concrete description of what you're actually drawing on the screen compared to the iOS or Android frameworks natively. Is that correct? My Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, writing that in some type of markup is a hundred times better than having to create and retain references to text fields and table views. And everything was a lot more verbose to do when it came to the UI layer of iOS, at least. I think there were small improvements on the Android side, but writing JSX is quite a bit nicer. And usually when you pair it with Redux, it becomes a much more easy to reason about UI layer for sure.
0: So just to Define a couple of terms. JSX is the actual markup language inside React. It lets you mix markup inside the code with the code. Yes. And Redux is a state manager that is separate from React, but is commonly used with it to manage a global set of state variables and to control access to it and allow action to be taken automatically when those when that state changes.
3: Yeah, it's about uh, you know like a unidirectional data flow model where you know actions are dispatched, they go in you know they're handled by things called reducers, which kind of generate new state using the information in the action, um, and then a new state is then pushed down to the view. You know once you start introducing asynchronous things, you can get into things called thunks or what we use Redux Saga, which is uh, using JavaScript's uh, generator functions to kind of contain the side effects that asynchronous tasks create. It's always been one of those things that just never had a a good solution when it came to the web approach to mobile, because a lot of web stuff didn't have to deal with asynchronous, as much asynchronous code, at least. Super heavy front end JavaScript apps are still somewhat new uh, in the history of the website. So things like Redux Saga are very welcomed, at least by me.
1: Yeah, I think it's really nice if you take a look at we're focusing on this JavaScript world. You're not sitting there saying, "Is this auto layout? Uh, what is Apple, you know, coming out with next?" And how am I going to do this exact same thing with uh, subviews in, in Android? The the sort of the mentality is use a web like layout, and then now you're talking about how to manage offline, how to manage sagas, and and the you know cool part about it. Those things, the sagas and sort of the Redux, all those things also transfer specifically back into web for reusable code. You can actually share those too. And this is like, this is a new world, which is, is great. You're, you're not sitting there glued to the nitty gritty on, on fighting pixels. You're actually trying to figure out how to share wide pieces of business logic. What I really want to see, uh, or what
3: I'm at least following very happily, is the React Native web and where that's going to head. There is some very, very awesome things that could come from that. React Native Web is, uh, they took the native components or or the native pieces of iOS and Android, uh, and they wrapped them in these generalized modules like a view or text or a a list, things like that, switch. They basically took that exact abstraction and then re-implemented that using HTML, in a library called React Native Web. So what that allows you to do is write one app and then have it show as HTML on the browser, as iOS on an iOS app, and for an Android app as well. And so that kind of eliminates the final barrier in terms of uh, code reusability.
0: So you have one high level description of your interface and then it's the react native tools job to convert that into the best representation on whatever platform you want it to be
3: yeah sort of there's also you know in terms of the implementations of things like maps or gps those are those are things you'll have to have separate implementations for for a browser and for you know each mobile platform Uh, so those are still i think questions to be asked but in terms of the view in sharing uh, view code, that's a huge step. And that's a really complicated one. Uh, so it's exciting to watch.
1: React came out first and took the web and then React Native said, let's take this concept away from the DOM. And it's kind of cute because React Native web says simply, let's just make web one of the many platforms that are supported. And so it, it seems almost circular in logic, but it's it's really beautiful. To have it back there, say, like, it's just one of the many platforms that we want to support. And it's really simple that way.
0: When you describe it out, it does kind of sound like you've taken three left turns in order to take a right turn. (laughs)
1: Totally. We're like USPS in here, man.
0: But, yeah, I can can see that where you have, you know, React comes with this model of components and state that the web is sort of in some ways, I guess, incidental to what React is trying to do. And then so with React Native, you just have all of these different targets where you have a more common high-level description of what the application looks like and how it behaves.
3: For sure. I mean, you can think of things in at the component level again, you know, like uh, things like text. You know, it's been 100 years since I wrote HTML, but <laughs> not focusing on the way things are laid out and focusing on, you know, what the pieces that you're trying to put together actually are sounds like more fun than I had.
0: <laughs> so, Brent, I want to talk... One of the things, so I haven't done much React Native, but one of the things that I was really impressed by was the immediate out-of-the-box demo experience where you can get to actually running the code on your phone very quickly. It flashes a QR code in your terminal. You have the program that your company works on to receive that and then run the code on your phone while you're developing it in a very seamless process. Can you talk a little bit about how that works and, and why that kind of tool is important?
2: Sure. I guess I'll start with why it's important. So we found that uh, there was a problem with React Native for the first year or so, where the time that it took for somebody to get set up and maybe make a hello world example was, it could be a while depending on what you have installed on your machine. It could be anywhere between half an hour or two or three hours, or you might even not be able to get everything set up. And the reason for that is it's just there are a lot of dependencies associated with getting set up with Android development and iOS development. In addition to that, if you own an iPhone and you have a Windows laptop, you actually can't build an iOS app and run it on your phone. And so there are various limitations associated with people just getting started and, and trying it out. And at Expo, we are kind of working on a different problem, but in parallel, that that happened to also help with this problem. And so uh, some folks at Facebook got in touch with us and uh, expressed their concern about the time to hello world, which was an interesting metric that apparently uh, was an important metric. They used that at Parse, um, and there were a couple of people from the, the Parse team working on the React Native team at the time. So we we spoke to them and, and figured out that probably the best way to do it was to use our tool, Expo, to provide a sort of onboarding experience that required only that the user had node on their machine and then installed uh, an app on their phone in order to load the code. So the way that that works is that the app on their phone is essentially the native runtime for React Native. It actually includes somewhere between five and 10 versions of of React Native in one binary. Uh, And it's all versioned nicely so that if you're opening an app from five months ago that's using a different version of React Native and you load it today, that'll be fine. So essentially what happens is you you when you scan this QR code, you are downloading the JavaScript for your app to your phone. But all of the native hooks and everything that you need on the native side uh, of the app is already there and already exists on your phone. And so we kind of take care of building that runtime and delivering it to people. And so that all the user needs to do to get started is uh, have some way to build the JavaScript and provide it to the phone.
0: Yeah, it's really a nice process. I have to admit, I, I was not expecting it to be uh, as easy as it was when I first. I was trying to do a demo uh, in React Native and just started kicking around with it, and was, you know, really a, a, just a very nice onboarding process to make me feel like I could do something in this tool very, very
2: quickly. That's great. We also have another another tool called Snack, which is kind of like CodePen or JS Fiddle type thing um, for React Native. And it uses a very similar idea, but uh, rather than having the build process for the JavaScript bundle uh, run on your machine, it actually runs partially on a server and then partially on your actual device. Uh, So we we include Babel, which is a JavaScript transformer, actually on your device, and we send over the code to the device every time you make a change. And it essentially just evals the code and starts from scratch every time uh, you make a change. And so that allows you to uh, actually get up and running and, and test some code out without even needing to install any dependencies on your machine, except for, I guess, Chrome, which you probably have, or you know Safari or whatever browser you like. Um, and that's also been really useful for kind of having a foundation in the community for sharing examples. So if you have some example snippet that you want to share with somebody that they can easily open it up and try it out and tweak some parameters and fork it or do whatever they want with it. That's kind of an essential building block, I think, of communities. I I can't imagine the web without having something like CodePen or some way to share your code with other people. It's also really important for uh, open source projects when users open an issue and say, hey, I have this problem. Here's my GitHub URL. Really, in the the best case, they would provide a, a URL to a repository that reproduces the problem. And then you'd have to clone that, npm install, and perhaps even do a build uh, with Xcode or Android Studio or both, and then get it on your device. Like The time to be able to test the bug is just its, it's very long. Um, and so we use Snack extensively for this use case where um, I work on a project called React Navigation. And we encourage everybody to submit an example that reproduces the bug that they're seeing in Snack so I can just click on it, open it up see the issue jump between different versions of the library or different versions of react native really quickly
3: was working earlier today with that. I just wanted to shout that out. That's such a great library.
0: (laughs) Many, many years ago, I used to work in a programming language called prograph, which was a graphical programming language, but the way that the code was described, there was no easy way to share it on the web. And it was really, really devastating to the, to building the community that there was no easy way to pass code around. So having something like that uh, is really powerful for the
3: community. The first time that I had gotten a chance to poke around with Snack, I had a huge smile on my face when it would, you know, it worked just so easily. And it totally reminded me of like a Swift playground kind of, you know, jammed together with like a gist or something. It was really, really easy to get up and kind of test out an idea.
1: Yeah. Plus one on that. Uh, If you ever need to file a bug or ask a question on Stack Overflow or just simply want to help somebody get started and kind of show them what React Native is, it's great for all those things, is to pull up Snack and then immediately start showing exactly the behavior and the ideas that are in your head immediately. I
3: think a more accurate experience is to have them go and screw around in Xcode for 45 minutes uh, and then bang bang their head (laughs) against the table uh, and have to worry about the nine caches. I I like to go for the, the full experience. That's usually the first one I give them.
1: Yeah, that's a good call. And then immediately, if, if you could, if you could just press a button and have Xcode crash right in the middle of their demo. Oh yeah, that's way better.
3: We ended up having to write a clean script that would go in. I think there is in total seven or eight of them uh, altogether, just to find the the base ground of like what normal was. Uh, and that's this is coming from the Xcode torture that was my previous you know six years. That explains
1: all the scars for sure. Totally.
0: <laughs> a little, just a little bit of bitterness there.
1: <laughs> no, none um, at all. I'm a
3: very happy person.
0: So React Native helps you work around all of that and still lets you have binaries that you can submit and create full-fledged native applications. Where are its limitations and boundaries? Like how customized is it to each individual platform target? Where do you see it? Where do you have to fall back down to the next layer down?
3: I mean, I guess what I would start with is that you are going to very much be familiar with, you know, the native tooling um, when you're doing React Native development. There's just too much integration points um, the way that it sits currently. Like you're going to have to know how to, you know, what code signing is when it comes to deploying an iOS app. You're going to have to know, you know, even if you're using NPM dependencies that are native wrappers that you can just link Um, which, you know, kind of plugs those things in for you, they're going to break. And so I I guess I would be nervous to make a promise that you're never going to have to do any native development uh, or or at least troubleshooting because it's certainly still there and you're certainly going to have a headache if you don't know anything about it um, when you go to run into one of those things.
1: I'd say specifically um, one part that kind of comes in right now is that you do – have a bridge right the bridge is native and you have this communication that's going over it it doesn't protect you from doing terrible programming over the bridge if for instance you have a non-declarative animation that's going over the bridge and you're telling you're updating the position every second well the bridge can handle that at 60 frames per second just fine if you're doing a non-native animation there But then let's say you have a saga that decides to draw all the resources, uh, and then now you have your animation fighting, it's a single-threaded item right there, so you're going to see some kind of performance issues. It doesn't uh, stop you from shooting yourself in the foot. But when you see those things, it is easy enough to work around. And like I said, you can't be afraid of putting on some gloves, pulling out some blog articles and some some books and, and going down to the native layer if you need to. But ideally, you shouldn't be completely saturating the bridge. And I, I almost find it as like the canary in the cave for, for bad programming If anybody is doing that, but um, ultimately that will limit you preferably uh, sooner and and easier over development rather than shipping to production and seeing that issue.
0: How skilled of a native developer do you need to be to be an effective React native developer? Like is it a case where they used to say for in the Rails world that if you didn't know MySQL well, eventually your Rails app was going to suck? Like you could build it, but eventually you would have some sort of performance bottleneck that you could only really diagnose by knowing, understanding how the underlying databases work. Is that the kind of thing here where you can build something, but there are gonna be bottlenecks and improvements that you're only going to be able to make if you understand the underlying frameworks?
1: Well, yeah, yes, and, and less and less every day because people are building more parts. Now, it depends on your team's initiative. If you're looking to just absorb code that's out there, then you can take it from great teams like Expo who are going to make open source ways to do something that is going to be fantastic and you know, there's going to support it. It's going to work great and it's going to continue to progress. Now at the same time, uh, if you pull in just feature after feature after feature, you might end up in NPM gate again. And if you have somebody who you're depending your business on every feature you add in, that's doing the native for you is a feature that you should technically own and be ready to go dig down into Now, the more people who are using it and the more features that are coming out, it's harder and harder to find places for me to ever write any native code anymore. Uh, I'm more just go in and tweak and fix features. And I feel like uh, if that continues on, it's a good community effort. It it sort of rewards itself and everybody kind of gives back to the community. So with that, I'd say that it gets less and less, but be prepared.
3: Been incredibly impressed with the amount of speed that some of these, you know, native implementations uh, wrapped up in a React Native consumable package. Uh, they've come very quickly. When we first started doing this, there weren't there weren't a whole lot of things that were supported, and if they were, they were very new. And now you can find almost every single piece of native functionality wrapped in something that's fairly easily to consume.
2: Yeah. So I was just going to comment on the limitations and how typically there are, there are two ways that you can go about handling limitations. One of them is the escape hatch that we've kind of discussed quite a bit already of just dropping down to writing some native code and write a sort of one-off component for something as as a workaround. Or if the limitation is in the area of just not having access to an API, you write a wrapper around some library that does that or a uh, wrapper for just the system API that isn't yet exposed. So another way to look at it is How we kind of look at it at Expo is, while we understand that sometimes you have to drop down and and write some code to expose a new API. We don't like the idea of having kind of one-off components that get around certain limitations that exist with the uh, current APIs in React Native. So we like to kind of take a step back and think, like, what are the primitives that we're missing in React Native to be able to build this UI without writing any native code, such that we're able to share the implementation entirely across uh, iOS and Android and potentially other platforms. And kind of that route, I think, is something that is most beneficial for the the long run for React Native and for the potential of the project. But certainly there are cases where I would say the majority of cases where you're maybe working at a consultancy or you're just building a one-off project for your company. In those cases, you probably don't have time to step back and think about the big picture and and try and generalize the solution, and, and you have to just go ahead and write a, a one-off uh, component. And so some examples of like taking a step back are projects like React Native Gesture Handler. So this is a complete re-implementation of the React Native Gesture system. Uh, the current gesture system uh, is very limited by uh, issues that uh, Gantt was just mentioning about having to cross the bridge too often. And essentially, the bridge is basically the communication pipeline between... Uh, the native runtime of your app and the JavaScript runtime. And so you have to send messages across the bridge in order to be able to say, hey, this touch event happened and send that to the the JavaScript side. The JavaScript side responds to it and says, okay, this view updated to have this uh, X position and this Y position and this background color or something like that. So the limitations with the gesture system currently in React Native are that it has to go across the bridge every time there's an event. Um, And so that means that if you want your gesture to handle a touch event once every frame, so that's pretty much what you're going for in mobile applications is you want to have 60 frames per second animations and and gestures and you want them to be extremely responsive and and not sort of drop out in in the middle only to uh, start tracking the gesture again uh, half a second later. Uh, You ideally don't want to depend on the JavaScript thread being available to respond to touch events every 16 milliseconds, which is how often you would need to do that for for 60 FPS. And so the solutions that often come in React Native are solutions that say, how can we reform the the solution to this problem such that we can define the behavior declaratively so that we can send that over once to this native side of, of the bridge and then have it execute entirely on the native side. So it's not dependent on the JavaScript side responding to every frame, but instead the bottleneck is just on the main thread performance. And this is the solution that React Native Gesture Handler takes where you're able to leverage the uh, built-in gesture responders that exist on iOS and actually a re-implementation of those, but in, in native on Android and actually update the UI and handle the gestures entirely on the native side, at least until you release the gesture, at which point you have to call back into JavaScript to say, hey, this gesture was released with this velocity and this position. Uh, What should we do now? That that kind of thing. So yeah, those those are kind of the two categories of potential ways to work around limitations in React Native.
0: What's the pathway for that kind of tool to get built back to become part of the central React Native core? Like, does that happen, or is the core somewhat separated from these experiments going on in tooling?
2: I think that it is possible that this could happen at some point in time. Currently, there is an effort to make the React Native core smaller. Um, So a lot of the APIs that exist within React Native core will be pulled out into separate libraries. So I don't see this happening in in the the short term. But perhaps in in the longer term, there will be a a more well-defined path for these kind of significant projects that have a big impact on the whole ecosystem to be able to come back into React Native itself. I would say that probably at the moment, the the best way to uh, guarantee that something like this would actually be brought back into the upstream project, for better or for worse, is to uh, be able to justify very clearly how it is in no uncertain terms, a absolute net benefit for Facebook to pull it into the project.
3: (laughs) There's, there's certainly an argument to be made why React Native as a whole is probably too big uh, and should be smaller uh, and broken apart as well.
0: Okay, what's the argument?
3: There's a, there's a <laughs> lot to it. It does a lot of stuff.
0: I guess I guess I'm used to frameworks where, like, that's okay. I know that the JavaScript ecosystem tends to prefer many smaller tools rather than a few larger tools. Is that essentially what's going on?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's basically cramming two frameworks together in an abstracted way. It's a lot of code, and I'd, it would be cool to see it either broken up at the layers or um, coupled off into siloed platforms in some way. I'm not sure what would be the most sensible way to do it. but
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that is kind of key here is that you don't want to become just like a, a religion with it. So you don't want people to say, hey, you know, I know there you have alternatives, but this is what you have to use, just sort of coming out of there. And so I like that they've broken up part of it to say, you know what, community, if you want to do it better, go do it better. And having smaller pieces sort of helps you break that problem down smaller. For instance, they've taken Packager and sort of broken that up a bit. And you have an option of Packager's you could choose to go with flow or typescript and like, I know Jest comes in, like some of these things kind of come in with react native, but in my opinion is um, you don't want to fragment the community, but at the same time, you don't want to strong arm them and, and sort of making sure it does one thing really well. And, and that's basically to be the react you know fiber like the engine that's that's going to sit there and work with the platform that sort of helps give like a north star of what should go into the project and what shouldn't and uh, these other sort of libraries they'll end up in your project regardless because you know they they're just so fantastic
3: that's kind of the story of react navigation
1: though no? yeah react navigation sort of came out and and now we have Brent to thank because he's he's pushing it forward in in new and amazing ways and it's no longer what will Facebook say. It's, it's oh, I have options and everybody can kind of pick up their own piece and make it even better. I mean, I'm sure Brent could add to that specifically.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit in just keeping the React Native core focused around the bridge implementation and kind of this like minimal sort of contract that needs to be implemented in order to build React Native for X platform. Currently, there's kind of a, privilege status for iOS and Android because they're the ones that are built into the upstream Facebook slash React Native GitHub repository, whereas, you know, there exists other implementations of React Native, such as uh, React Native uh, for universal Windows platform, which Microsoft works on, that kind of feel like second-class citizens. And I, I mean, I can't speak for them necessarily, but it feels like as, as they're not part of the canonical repository, that they don't have quite the same status. And as the core is bigger and bigger, um, I think that there's just more burden on people to implement all of these various things that are, you know, I think, to a large degree, somewhat arbitrarily included in core, because that's just how it was when it was released. There's things like a tab bar implementation or like a toolbar that only exists on Android. There's a WebView implementation. and, And the scope of this just becomes really massive. And so that leads into another problem where it's very hard to manage a repository that covers such a wide range of concerns. And by breaking these out into separate packages, you could have the React Native WebView package, which is managed by a couple of people that care deeply about it. And they don't have to be locked into the React Native release cycle where they need to get reviews by certain people who have touched the code base before and then only release once per month. And that sort of thing that kind of limits the ability for these smaller pieces to iterate more quickly and receive uh, kind of the attention and ownership that they probably deserve.
0: One thing I've seen certainly in the React web framework is that the downside of having a very small core is that with a lot of different support libraries is that it becomes very confusing for especially new entry into the framework, but even for experienced people to pick and choose between all the different various options? Like what kinds of things does the React Native community do to try and mitigate that problem?
2: So one thing that we do is, so I work on Expo where, like I, I mentioned in, in the intro, we kind of see it as like Rails for React Native. And similarly, we're, we're sort of moving in the direction of, um, actually probably a better way to phrase it is sort of like Rails and Heroku for React Native. But we're we're sort of moving in the direction of currently you kind of have to buy into the entire thing and use it all as one piece. And it provides essentially this massive standard library of ideally most of the things that you would need to build uh, you know, 80% of, of the apps out there. But if we move in this direction that we're, uh, we have just recently started on doing of making it a little bit more modular, the potential is that essentially if you want a standard library for your application, uh, you would just be able to install this expo package or the individual pieces of the expo package, and those would become sort of the go-to sort of standard library solution. So hopefully that that would make it a bit easier. But I I do agree that it can become complicated when you have all of these options available to you and, and there's no clear path. And I think that's already an issue in React Native to some extent.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And, and part of the problem is we're sort of influencing. I went to RubyConf, uh, I think like twenty fourteen, and um, the guy was talking about all these great, good, new ideas. As I was listening to it, I was like, "This is just Redux." You know, he's, he brought Redux over to Ruby, and and what wound up happening is uh, at the end of it, yeah, he said that, but to them, it was a new idea. And so, and now, um, in a lot of ways, Redux is fighting against uh, some brand new ideas. So just being at the bleeding edge, uh, we're going to get cut a little bit by fragmentation because a lot of people start to grab an idea and it causes uh, a little bit of a divide. But ultimately, over a long period of time, I think that we all kind of grow from it. The ideas are definitely getting more solid. The introductory libraries are getting better uh, like you can hop in with Hello World real fast now. And, you know, you have Expo, you have uh, Geeky Hans has a sort of starter pack. Us at Infinite Red, we have a starter pack. So a lot of people are sort of saying, this is what we're using to ship apps. We know this works. So feel free to follow us along here and we're going to blog about it. So uh, there's sort of some people who have risen into... This is what we've found to work and this is what we hasn't found to work. But at the same time, every time I see a new state management library, a big part of me says, do I have the time, ability and concern available to really check into that? And, uh, it's, it, you know, it's a blessing and a curse.
0: Yeah. One of the things I like about the Rails model is Rails has a very, very opinionated central core But over time has made it very easy to re-implement or override the parts of it that you don't like. I mean, on the other hand, it took them years to get to that point. So I I can see the community getting there.
1: The community is a place for new ideas, not new rules. That's fantastic. But ultimately, as we're all working together, it really depends on the community's good spirit. And I can say for a fact that, uh, you know, just coming into it, I, I showed up about a year after Brent did in React Native, and I thought I was fresh on the trail there. And surely enough, uh, the people who were there when I first started were very friendly, very welcoming, very greeting. It made it very easy for me to get started. And then at the same time, we kind of all turn around. And I'd say that if you you pose a question in any public thread about React Native, you usually get a lot of community support and feedback, which is, as these things are iterating... The humanity part of it is essential.
0: What are some of the critical resources for new people coming into React Native that, that we haven't mentioned yet?
1: Specifically, we, there's a newsletter, the React Native newsletter, uh, which is React Native CC. Or you could go to reactnativenewsletter.com. There's lots of great blog articles on Medium. Uh, InfantRed, we throw the React Native conference in the U.S., and CallStack.io throws the React Native conference in Europe. And the videos from last year for both those conferences are available online. Just tons of really awesome stuff is already out there that I know of.
2: I think another good one is ReactNativeExpress.com. If you're not familiar with React at all, or if you're already familiar with React and just want to get quickly started with React Native, it kind of outlines all of the... Uh, various terms that you'll need to to know and is is a really good place to get started. Uh, Another resource is there's a YouTube playlist from a workshop that I did at React Europe last year. Uh, So it was a two-day workshop and we recorded video for the entire thing. And uh, I actually did it with Devin Abbott, who is uh, the the guy that wrote ReactnativeExpress.com. And so we cover all the basics. We cover everything from React Native Express and then go through and, and do a bit more as well. Maybe another thing to to really mention is I, I really like the uh, animations API in React Native. There's something called Animated. So uh, if you're just getting started and you want to dig into some of the more fun things about React Native, I would say have a look and uh, experiment with Animated and, and see how it goes.
1: Also, uh, to another one on that is with Natter is React uh, ReactNative.training. Uh, can also get on-site training as, as an availability for if you have like a large team of people and you want to do a one-week or a three-day session, that's a good piece as well. I, I think one of the coolest things that I've gotten to see uh, through this entire transition is
3: the amount of staffing uh, overlap and what it's allowed us to do. Just as you know, having a team of front-end engineers and having a team of mobile engineers and then there being so much crossover that you can come over from one side to the other with lo- relatively low friction. It's allowed us to be very flexible. Um, I, I don't know how much of that you've experienced at your places, but it's just, if someone were to t- tell me that would be possible, you know, three, four or five years ago, there's no way I would have believed it.
1: Yeah, I agree that the tooling and, and how things are kind of coming together. One of the things I think is really amazing is, is using Storybook. Like I, I tell a lot of people this part is the way we have our app structured I have never seen a junior developer become so product positive and being able to deliver features faster with any other structure. And it's just sort of that speed that you get in React. It's there in React Native as well. Storybook's there in React Native. And it's super cool to use all these different little tricks and bells and whistles. And they just keep coming out with more. And uh, it's not distracting. It's actually empowering. Totally. And then on
3: top of that, they add story shots and they blow everybody's mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's really
2: nice.
0: Great. So before we go, can you guys each tell me where people can find you online if they want to talk to you? Brent, where can people find you online?
2: I'm Brent Vatney on GitHub or not Brent on Twitter.
1: Gant? I am Gant Labord and gantlaborde.com. I have at Gant Laborde on Twitter and Gantman on GitHub. I write a lot all over the place on Medium, and I'm going to just about every React Native or React conference I can. I'll be at Chain React, React Finland, React Amsterdam, even JavaScript conferences like JazzCon Tech. So if you're going to a conference, please check the speakers list to see if I'm there. And Ed, where
3: can people find you? I'm Edward Lafoy on GitHub and Twitter. You can reach out to me there. Or if you want to message me um, over email, it's ed at tablexi.com.
0: Great. Um, Thank you guys for being on the show. Uh, This has been great. And we'll see you all online. Tech Done Right is a production of TableXI and is hosted by me, Noel Rappin. I'm at Noel Rapp on Twitter, and TableXI is at TableXI. The podcast is edited by Mandy Moore. You can reach her on Twitter at the Tech Done Right can be found at techdoneright.io or downloaded wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us feedback or ideas on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at TableXI.com, where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right.